everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Cashew Podcast. I hope you are healthy and hanging in there during these challenging and honestly strange times. I hope you are taking care of yourself mentally, physically, spiritually. Maybe that's getting outside and enjoying some fresh air or connecting with loved ones through video chat. Or maybe it's just taking a moment to breathe. Wherever you are at right now with all of this is okay because we're all there too. And from all of us at Cashew, we wanna thank you for taking the time to listen. And we hope that this series can offer tools and resources that you can use to continue doing the amazing work that you're already doing. And with that, let's all take a deep breath and then start this episode. In today's episode, I talk with Liz Snyder of Cashew and Tracy Crudo of the Minnesota Department of Human Services, both who are co-directors of the Minnesota Child Welfare Training Academy. Both Liz and Tracy share more in this episode about how child welfare training has been impacted across the state of Minnesota and how training is looking different and, and how training may continue to evolve over the coming months. They both also share how the implementation and rollout of the new Minnesota Child Welfare Training Academy has been impacted and is changing over the coming weeks and months. And they both share how they're doing and and coping skills and ways they're taking care of themselves during these difficult times. And so we hope that you find this episode helpful and informative for your work. So thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Thank you, Liz and Tracy, for joining me today to share a little bit about how COVID-19 is impacting your work and and child welfare training around the state of Minnesota. Could you both please introduce yourselves and share a little bit about your roles? Sure. Thanks for having us, Karina. My name is Liz Snyder, and I work at the University of Minnesota's Center for Advanced Studies in Child Welfare. And I am the Director of Training Partnership at the Center, and I'm the co-director of the Minnesota Child Welfare Training Academy. And I'm Tracy Crudo. I am um, the Workforce Development and Training Manager at the Department of Human Services in the Child Safety and Permanency Division, and I am the co-director on the state side of the State University Training Partnership in the Child Welfare Training Academy. Thank you. Thank you both. I know there has been a lot of changes in the the last month, I think we're going into week five of our <laughs> kind of uh, stay at home orders and quarantine. And I just wanted to start with asking, how are you both doing? How are you both adjusting to everything? It's been an interesting journey. <laughs> I think um, I think we've, as a team, adjusted pretty phenomenally. It's been amazing to see uh, the staff really rally and come together with common goal and purpose in trying to think through how to support professionals who are uh, still out there doing frontline work for kids and families, supporting kids and families. Right. I I don't think I have much to add to that. I mean, I think, um, you know, everybody has just kind of taken this on as, uh, you know, business isn't usual anymore. So we need to uh, think outside the box and do things differently. I think our team in the training academy has been uh, well suited to make this transition because we have been really exploring um, use of distance 
learning platforms and video uh, conferencing. It's a very mobile team, as you can imagine, a team of trainers. Um, you know, they're often scattered about the state, and so meetings aren't always in person with everybody when we're having team meetings, for instance. So people are familiar with the platforms. This kind of just ramped it up to hyperspeed, and now everybody's like really um, embraced the technology and really is in this um, mode of, of learning and um, advancing their skills. Yeah, and have you found that you all and your teams are connecting more during this time and and in different ways? I know you said you had a pretty mobile team and so you're utilizing lots of technology before, but just wondering about what that connection to each other has looked like yeah. in the past month or so. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty interesting because, you know, there's a lot of concern when you're, you're all um, separated in this way to think, well, how is that going to change a team dynamic? And really, everybody's embraced it from the beginning. And I, you know, Liz and I joke, we have more meetings on our calendar now than ever before, because everything, you know, can't just, um, you know, run over to somebody's cube and ask them a question. You sort of have to plan it a little bit more and, um, and reserve some time and space for, for meeting virtually. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're really connecting in both kind of formal and informal ways much more uh, than maybe we were even doing in an in-person setting. It's kind of strange. Yeah. And I think to add to what Tracy said, um, you know, as work is happening fast and furious to respond to the need to move training, essential training online, there has to be lots of connecting points because um, it's just as requiring so many different elements of different teams. And so connecting to make sure that those things are happening is happening on the regular and as Tracy was saying about informal meeting, I think just like Cashew does our virtual deep breath, um, the training academy folks have been, it's been beautiful to watch because they've come up with so many ways to support one another, virtual birthday parties and um, online yoga with one another. I mean, they're, they're really coming together to do all of these cool supportive things in addition to showing up to do the work. That's really great. I'm glad, I'm glad you all are able to find time to connect, but also around, you know, ways of taking care of each other and, and ourselves during this hard time. And so we'll get into some of the ways that child welfare training is changing day to day with everything happening. But I'm wondering just more in general with everything that is taking place and how our day-to-day -day lives are being impacted, just what concerns you both have for child welfare and, and thinking of the children and families we serve, um, thinking of our communities, uh, thinking of our, our frontline workforce, um, just kind of wondering what some of your, your thoughts have been, you know, as of late with everything going on and kind of what concerns you have, whether that's short-term or even long-term impacts? Well, sure. I mean, I think, you know, we're always thinking workforce in, a, in training and workforce development. You know, what what is the impact of all of this on our workforce ultimately? We, we've been through kind of a rocky road the last few years. You know, Minnesota has historically had a very low turnover rate in child protection. And then we hit um, 2015 
and some of the media scrutiny and the governor's task force. And we saw a real um, kind of severe swing the other way where we had almost a 30, 30% turnover rate in the state um, for a couple of years there. We've seen that level off. And so, you know, I have, I have a real concern about what this will do um, to turnover if, um, if our workers are overburdened and overstressed during this time. I think, you know, protection is something that's on everybody's mind. We, uh, we are an essential service provider, our workforce, and, you know, assessments and investigations, they can't just stop um, in the middle of a pandemic. We're doing what we can to try to moderate policy to make it as safe as we can for everyone, but there are some circumstances where workers are still finding themselves put in um, situations that risk their health. So that can have a, a huge toll on a workforce. And and just as the pandemic spreads and hits our workers and their families and they're out of the workforce and um, the the remaining uh, work falls disproportionately on the remaining staff. I mean, th- these are real um, real concerns for, for burnout and um, secondary trauma for a workforce and then subsequently turnover. So yeah, there's a lot of concern. I think we're talking about that. That's really top of mind. Yeah, and and we we spoke with um, Kim Clemenson last week um, at Ramsey County, and she was sharing with us just some of the ways like their agency is adapting. And they talked about she talked about the development of like emergency response teams and the way they're kind of building out teams to do some of this um, to continue this essential work, like you're saying, the front end kind of work, investigations, getting out and seeing kiddos and having contact um, and just how county agencies are having to quickly adapt and and find ways and ensure the safety of their workers. Um, But I think in that conversation, she remained pretty hopeful, too, about how how her staff are doing and and keeping themselves safe. That is great. I mean, I think our our counties are coming up with lots of creative solutions and, and ways to um, really put their staff uh, in the center of this and really think about what's best, not only for the kids and families, but for the their workforce. I know um, many county and tribal agencies are very concerned and taking all the steps that they can to, to make sure that this is a safe time for everybody, not only the kids and families, but their staff as well. I know a lot of things are changing day to day and things look different every day, but I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about how training um, for new child welfare workers and, and some of the ongoing training has changed so far um, and and how you see training changing in the coming weeks. The academy team has really focused much of our time and energy thus far on um essential training on new worker training, which is uh, called new worker foundation training and has really focused on taking that content, which is highly interactive um, and thinking through how to deliver that in a way that can still build knowledge and skill, but through a completely different delivery system. So the staff has taken, um, started with what is called classroom one, which is three days of in-person training and has moved that entirely to online delivery. And so that means accessing materials online and having um, in as much in-person as you can do online, real face-to-face 
training using Zoom as the primary delivery platform. Yes. Yeah, so last week we had actually the first uh, class from one, as Liz described, um, that was delivered virtually. And so it was, it's very exciting if you think about, you know, March 18th was when we received direction from the state that we were to cease in-person training, um, mandatory in-person training. And by, what was it, April 4th, uh, the team had developed an online transition plan and delivered their first classroom training. So that's pretty phenomenal in terms of um, when you look at development, kind of traditional development timelines for a project like that. So are things perfect? No, but I mean, it, it was a really strong, um, it was a really strong classroom from both uh, the trainer side and from the feedback we're initially getting from the folks who are in that cohort. First of all, I think people just really appreciated being able to continue um, to receive training in this time. You know, there are folks who are really very new to the work and this, you know, is, a, uh, you know, quite the introduction to, to child protection work. And so if you can imagine doing that without having any access to even foundational training, um, it's pretty scary. So we're uh, really excited we were able to do this. And I think we chose Zoom as our platform. The university uses Zoom as their kind of uh, online virtual platform. So we've been really embracing that. It's a very user-friendly technology. So we got, first of all, a lot of great feedback about that being a real um, user-friendly platform. And the trainers really, and, and our curriculum staff really delved into, you know, the advanced features of what this can do. They're using, um, you know, kind of group whiteboards to have people kind of notate and write and view content. They did a lot of um, small room, small room breakouts. They have breakout rooms within the Zoom platform, so they're still able to to maintain the fidelity of a lot of the small group interactions that that staff really love as part of the training. Um, and then we do kind of, you know, it's not a one to one transition. So three days, you know, three six to eight hour days in person classroom can't translate to six to eight hours of Zoom content. I mean, everybody would be just falling asleep and logging off and it would it's not great learning, um, transfer of learning kind of practice. So we really said, you know, we gotta, we've gotta go back to looking at the objectives or the objectives for the courses and what's the best way with the tools that we have to get those objectives across. So some of it is kind of those synchronous, those live activities that I was just describing, and some of it is asynchronous. So really finding um, other content that folks can maybe do offline um, in their own kind of time frame, and then come back together to kind of debrief those resources. So um, they're doing a great set of modules, um, online modules around implicit bias in child welfare in classroom one. It's really well done. Um, series of modules. Maybe Karina, I can get you the link because they're available publicly and I'm not remembering um, the authors of it right now. I want to make sure that we give them credit, but, you know, finding really good materials that are out there um, for folks to work through and learn and then bringing them back to the classroom setting to kind of debrief them and apply them to our Minnesota setting. So that's just one example of um, some of the kinds of content and um, transitions that we're making to make this work for everyone. And I think as Tracy shares that, one of the other um, exciting things that we heard from the trainers that piloted Foundation last week is that um, in spite of 
uh, not being in person and having that personal connection in a classroom setting, what we heard was people still had incredible conversations, which is really important for all of the foundational classroom um, meetings. But classroom one is about um, it's about difference and privilege and having hard conversations. And what we heard from trainers is that was able to happen in a, a real and meaningful way it, over Zoom. And I think that that's exciting uh, because I think our thought was, well, we're going to get by. It's going to be imperfect. It's going to be good enough. We have to get people essential information. And what we heard after the pilot was um, it was better than that. It was better than we we thought it could go. Um, and I think that that that's that's reassuring. Absolutely. And for folks listening who may not quite understand, could you explain just a little bit more of kind of what the foundation training looks like? So these new folks in this kind of new cohort are starting the new new training. Uh, where are they from? Are they from around the state? And kind of how far out could this foundation training um, spread out for them over, you know, the coming weeks or months? Sure. Um, well, this particular cohort that started last week was slated to happen in Washington County in Cottage Grove. Um, and so the cohort is a little more metro based. Um, there's, I think, a good number of Hennepin uh, employees in there, as we typically have in our metro cohorts, but it's it's mixed. There are folks from a variety of counties um, in that training. So I think as we roll out and kind of get into more remote settings, remote parts of the state um, where workers maybe um, are spread out a little bit more, we'll see if this is still something that's working for them. Um, I think you asked the question about kind of what, what does foundations training look like for people who aren't really familiar with that. And even for those who are familiar with that, we've had a lot of changes in the last year, so it's probably a good thing to go over. Um, we have had... So we talked about classroom one is three days and um, prior to to this year, prior to January one, um, foundations trainings consisted of nine days of training um, and broken up into three chunks of three. So classroom one, um, like Liz says, really goes over um, kind of those critical conversations, implicit bias, examining kind of our own um, power and privilege and what we bring to the work. Um, as well as doing a deeper dive into disparity and disproportionality, how we can impact that on the ind individual group and um, organizational and community levels. Um, we talk a lot in that first classroom about kind of trauma and trauma-informed practice. We talk about um, domestic violence. We talk about um, engaging fathers. We talk a lot about some of the theoretical foundations that we want, the lenses that we want people to be wearing as they kind of step into the work. Um, and classroom two traditionally has been really kind of front end practice. So getting into um, investigation and assessment and really walking people through the policy and the practices um, that lead up into kind of ongoing case management. And then classroom three has covered ongoing case management and some of the permanency and adoption continuum. So that's kind of how it had traditionally been. 
And as we look at um, implementing the Child Welfare Training Academy, we really we got this great investment of resources from the legislature last year that will enable us to kind of expand and really do a deeper dive into looking at um, reconfiguring foundations training um, over the next couple of years as we kind of staff up in our resourcing of the Child Welfare Training Academy. But we knew that between kind of that legislation passing in early spring and us being able to really meaningfully kind of delve into a full rewrite of the curriculum, there are things that we needed to shore up in the interim, um, policy changes and practices and things that just couldn't wait. So in January, we um, started piloting a version of foundations training that actually has five classrooms and 14 days of training. So it's a, it's a pretty significant expansion. So classroom one remains largely the same. And then we have partnered with the Center for Regional and Tribal Child Welfare at the University of Minnesota Duluth to do a two-day kind of extension between classrooms one and two, really doing a deep dive into working with um, American Indian families and tribes, um, covering some of ICWA and MIFA policy, but also kind of cultural implications for the work. So that's really exciting piece um, that we've been able to add this year. Um, classroom two really means, remains kind of uh, focused on the front end and three and four we were able to kind of expand out because we've heard people wanted more of kind of ongoing case management and people wanted more of permanency and adoption so we've kind of split those into two classrooms um, so we have uh, one classroom that covers primarily the ongoing case management and one that gets into the permanency continuum so we really have expanded the content and so we were kind of in the middle of finalizing the pilot when all of this happened so it's sort of been a moving target since january um but that's kind of what the series looks like right now our partners at umd um you know the university has some different restrictions than the state does right now and so they're really looking at how they can scale up their um, two-day to bring that online so we're hoping that we're able to do that soon that people don't have to wait longer for that content because that's critical content but that's one piece that's kind of still in that um, we're still looking at the potential transition of that content and just as an overlay for people to understand foundation i think it's important to know foundation training is the required training for all new workers hired into child protection in minnesota so within the first six months of being hired um, the expectation is people receive new worker foundation training to help them have the essential knowledge and skills to be able to do child protection work in Minnesota. Thank you. Thank you for sharing a little bit more about what foundation training looks like and kind of how it's been impacted. And, and you also mentioned the, the Minnesota Child Welfare Training Academy, um, which you all had been in the middle of implementation and, and rolling out important pieces of that work, can you share? Can you share some of what? Can you share some of how that has been impacted? The implementation, the work you had begun to do, and and had to kind of quickly shift with the pandemic. Yeah, I can start. I I think so much of our work with the Child Welfare Training Academy. Um, pre-COVID-19 <laughs> was really thinking about how we scale up, how we continue to build our, um, our training offerings, build infrastructure, get out and hear from community. And we've had to pause a lot of that and really turn and shift toward providing essential training. 
Um, before all of that, um, we had been just starting to do some listening sessions where uh, Tracy and I were planning to travel around the state to be able to have um, listening sessions with our primary learning audience. So mostly uh, county and tribal workers and supervisors, as well as um, some private provider folks, and also some evening sessions to hear from community. And we wanted to just listen. What what are your hopes and dreams for a training academy? Um, now that we have this new resource in our state, what do you want to see happen? What kind of training offerings do you want? Um, gathering that kind of information from folks and incorporating it into our plan for as we expand and scale up the academy. We had to pause those. There was the possibility of us being able to move them online, but uh, the first couple we tried, we just, we felt like we were missing um, that essential connection piece. So unlike the example I shared with foundation training, where it felt like people were able to really connect at least very early on in, in the pandemic, trying to connect about this just wasn't hitting home for people. And that makes a lot of sense to me in hindsight, you know, but in the moment we were sort of trying to power through and realize there were some things that it didn't make sense for us to power through just because it was the plan. And um, so now we're stopping and reevaluating how and in what ways we, we gather that information from people. How do we have listening sessions um, where we can truly hear from people uh, in a way that's meaningful and likely is going to have to still be virtual? Yes. And, you know, a lot of this year one implementation of the Child Welfare Training Academy is really about infrastructure development. So, um, you know, a really big feature, a couple of big features of the legislation was one kind of staff capacity. Do we have the capacity to develop the kinds of training, robust trainings that a workforce of our size and state needs? And two, um, facilities. And people may ask, you know, well, DHS as a training center, why do you really need facilities? And, you know, one of the ways one of the barriers to us being totally responsive in training is that we um, don't have dedicated training space. Even the training center at Lafayette, our DHS training center, um, is shared with other programmatic areas. So people may or may not know, but we as an internal division have to book our trainings a year in advance. So that doesn't allow us to be very nimble to add classrooms or um, shift things if, if we need to do that. And then in greater Minnesota, we've really relied on the graciousness of partners and working um, with counties and tribes all over the state to kind of trying to find free and um, flexible resources. And, you know, some of those training facilities have been more or less conducive to a good learning environment. So we have little control over those things. So one of the things that we really um, wanted to focus on in the legislation was having dedicated training space across the state that was really accessible for folks and set up for kind of optimal training for our field. I mean, if you look at other associated fields, like we've looked uh, um, at law enforcement, we've toured a new training facility in St. Paul that's really close to, to Lafayette. And you look at the kinds of uh, dedicated trainings that associated fields get and the um, the real seriousness of the of the work that we're asking people to do. Um, it really does take uh, some focused and really rigorous training. And so we really wanted to honor that and say, no, these folks deserve to have good environments that are conducive to the kinds of learning that they need to have that are critical for the work that they do. 
So in the first year, we've really focused on securing a new metro trading facility. Um, part, w- one of the goals of that is to bring the state staff and the university staff of the training academy together in kind of a true integrated partnership. So we're all located in one area working together as, as a very integrated team. We didn't want it to feel like two separate teams. We want to feel like the academy is one team. So we're going to have all of our staff office there. And with the staff expansion, we needed additional space for that. But, um, you know, we also wanted to have really good kind of state of the art training space. So we've secured a location in Roseville, Minnesota. That's really um, centrally located to kind of Hennepin and and Ramsey, but also um, really good access points for, for folks who are coming from greater Minnesota. And it's a it was it's a great facility. It used to be uh, the site of the Minneapolis Business College. We're in the middle of renovating two and a half floors of a three floor office building. So, the majority of that space will be training academy. So we're really excited about that. We have four um, really good sized dedicated training rooms. We have three um, conference rooms, and we have six. Uh, simulation training rooms, which will be really exciting. That's the first time we've had um, dedicated space for simulation for child welfare um, within our training system. So that's super exciting for us. Um, As I mentioned, that is is in Roseville. We're in the middle of renovation. We had kind of just broken ground, so to speak, on the renovation of that site as the pandemic was hitting. Um, So we really were kind of taking it day by day, but so far, our construction timeline hasn't been too impacted. We were originally hoping to open in July and we may have to push that back to September at this point, but that's not um, not too bad in the scope of all of the things that we're um, uh, trying to kind of mediate right now. Um, we, as I mentioned, we want to have some dedicated outstate greater Minnesota space too. And we were hoping to issue RFPs this spring for county and tribal and other community agencies to consider hosting one of our, our greater Minnesota um, resource learning centers. That timeline's been a little delayed, so we'll probably be looking at uh, releasing that RFP later into the summer, um, but trying to scale up those um, regional locations in the next year of our training academy implementation. And that's a really exciting feature of the training academy is that we are going to be decentralized in a way that allows training and supports to be statewide and not just metro-based. So when those RFPs come out, different um, counties or universities around the state will be able to apply to host the the regional learning center where we'll have training and development staff located um, in in regional hubs around the state. Yeah, that's very exciting. And I also wonder, and again, I know there's so many unknowns we don't know, but I wonder if you all are already having conversations or are kind of thinking of how we're seeing connection and learning change day to day in current times with the pandemic and uh, being isolated and working remotely and, and kind of how you're implementing foundation training and seeing uh, the pros and the good parts of that. Do you think that this could have a long-term impact um, or some, or m- maybe multiple impacts on the way we do training you know, in the future, even whether that's um, 
the format itself, but even like how we're able, like we're talking about decentralizing and having um, more outstate regional offices, but even that thinking of that, the ways we connect in the different areas. I'm just, just wondering generally if you, if you can see some ways that the way we do training might change because of this. I'm sure it will. And there's so many of those things that I, I just haven't even been able to wrap my mind around the magnitude of what the changes will be like for all of us in all regards. I think an opportunity that's going to come out of this from my perspective is that um, we're seeing and learning much earlier on than I had ever anticipated um, how we can harness technology to be able to reach people. And I think um, we're going to learn that much more quickly than we would have otherwise. And that is going to give us opportunity to think about how we can be nimble knowing the demands of um, our child protection workforce, how we can provide quality, meaningful training and development opportunities that still um, still hold dear what we have as our, our grounding values around connection and um, support, but doing being able to do that using uh, virtual classrooms and some of the other technologies we're, we're learning to use in, in light of all of the social distancing. Yes, you know, that's a really great question because I've been thinking about that a lot myself in terms of, you know, our whole, our whole society. I mean, people who, we, who could have imagined doing video chats are, you know, doing them not only in their professional but now in their personal lives as well. And so I think just the fluency of the general public and, um, and specifically our workforce in, uh, you know, engaging in lots of interactions in this way will be helpful in terms of thinking through, um, you know, what are the right platforms and the right uh, technologies to employ in this kind of training? You know, it'll be less scary for people because they've done it before. You know, even noticing as we go on, I don't know about all of you, but, you know, as we go on and have all of these video meetings and things, like, you see more and more people, like, willing to turn on their video camera, where that's been a big thing for a lot of people um, to not really want to, to share video in that way. But you see people... Um, seeing the value of that engagement, that face-to-face virtual engagement. And so I think we're going going to see maybe less resistance than we had anticipated to doing some kinds of innovative uh, things via technology. And, you know, as Liz mentioned, I think it just really put into hyperspeed our, uh, our own internal staff's capacity and thinking around, like, what's possible? What could we do? And really... Um, you know, on their side too, there's the apprehension in terms of what is this going to do to the interaction and the engagement? What does this look like? Do I have the skills? Uh, will my classroom skills translate to the virtual environment? And so I think this has really kind of pushed us into uh, a place where people have really been able to focus on that skill development. And, and we've had some meaningful conversations thinking through, um, you know, how this can work and be successful for everyone. I also think I'm just seeing um, a new level of people just being gentle and kind with one another, where because we're all in this incredible learning curve, this sort of need to get it right has diminished. And there's some real humanity in that, like just being able to show up and do our best 
and that people people are are all in the same boat in many regards there and so the ability to show up and learn and look past imperfection or not getting it right the first time or struggling with a, you know to be able to share your screen in zoom or something people are being really kind and gentle and focusing on why are we here what is our goal how can we show up for each other and i think that that also opens people up to to learning in new and exciting ways absolutely well and you know when and during this time when there are there's so much information and so much news and our personal lives are being impacted our work lives are being impacted and and some days feel really heavy and and more challenging than others and and kind of as you're sharing these moments of gentleness and care i'm wondering if you both could just share kind of what's giving you hope you know what's giving you hope in the moment and and kind of giving you hope looking forward um to the future and and what life looks like and how we continue to support each other through this well i mean i think what's giving me hope is uh, what liz was just referencing and kind of the grace and the humanity of of everybody right now um you know in the beginning we mentioned how how the staff has just really embraced you know moving forward in the best way that we can together and i think it, it in many ways it's strengthened our connections and our bonds with one another around this work and the mission of this work and the importance of it so that's really giving me hope is that even though we're physically separated we can feel like we're more together than ever in terms of our uh, connection around mission and doing the work and doing it creatively and caring for each other in this time and and, and allowing people to be them their whole selves it's been a really big part of you know, we do a lot of work at the training academy about um, the culture of our team and what what we want our work environment to be like and how we all have a role in setting that and naming it and living it and working toward it. And so I think, you know, one of the big um, components for us has always been, you know, pe- being our whole selves and being in relationship with people um, to strengthen our collaboration. So really just sharing and giving people a lot of grace. Like as Liz and I are leading meetings and our kids are coming in and out and they're asking for help with, you know, getting on their distance learning or can I have a snack or, you know, somebody's dog is barking and then they come, you know, like everybody's just like super cool about it and kind and even welcoming that we get to see that and share that part of each other's lives and, and giving people support, support, not only the work being hard, but life being hard. Like you mentioned, Karina, like there are good days and there are struggle days. And, and, you know, I see people lifting people up in those moments of struggle. And like, what do you need? Do you need to take the afternoon off? Can I do this piece of the work? And, and I don't think that that's probably unique to our team. I think a lot of people are seeing that in this work environment. And I, those are the things that give me hope about how we can maybe transform our work um, collectively moving forward. I couldn't have said it better. Tracy said it beautifully. I think the only thing I would add around what's giving me hope is that I'm really I'm really seeing how the pandemic has helped us see what's important. And within our work, it's everything Tracy just said. Within our work, uh, so much of the 
the pieces around implementation that had been taking up our time and energy um, around sort of what we, the noise, right, has quieted. There's a new kind of noise, but much of that is really what we're holding up as essential. And it's easier to see what is essential and important now. And I think a lot of that is everything Tracy just said. It's relationship. It's being able to, to provide meaningful learning for people that helps them do the best work they can. And um, it's showing up for each other. And so being able to hone in on what's important is another piece that's hopeful for me. And I hope that we can take that and keep it moving forward is, is how do we prioritize the truly meaningful pieces and let go of some of the noise that is always around everyone's work. Thank you both for sharing what's giving you hope right now. One question I do want to ask and include too is um, how can people stay plugged into to updates about child welfare training that's ongoing and, and currently being offered, but also future child welfare training academy updates that may be coming out in the coming weeks. We have a couple of ways for people to learn about what we're doing. We just launched some social media channels, so people should and could follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, um, and we can share our social media handles online with folks. Um, we also have a blog where we're posting lots of updates, and people can sign up to receive updates through email on our website so we can share our website as well. And then the only other piece that's also available for folks, um, until we get our listening sessions up and running again, we also have an online feedback forum where people can go and send us information they want us to know as we're scaling up. And that form is also online. So if people visit the web, they can um, see and enter information right in. All right. Well, thank you so much, Liz and Tracy, for joining me today. I know your schedules and lives are very busy right now, being home with your kiddos and distance learning and continuing to work and just every day, everything. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to share a little bit more with our listeners about what um, what training is looking like for, for child welfare, our child welfare workforce across the state and, and kind of what we can look forward to with the Child Welfare Training Academy in the coming weeks. So thank you both again for joining me. Thank you, Karina. This podcast was brought to you by the Center for Advanced Studies in Child Welfare. This podcast was produced by Karina Berry. Our series editors were Denise Cooper and Cliff Dahlberg. Music was composed by Big Cats. And this podcast was supported in part by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Human Services Children and Family Services Division. For more information, please visit the CASHU website at cascw.umn.edu. Thank you for listening and stay well, everyone.